Good morning, and good to be good to be with you again. If you would open to uh, Psalm twenty-three, if you haven't already. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis chapter one details that to a degree. And then when you get to chapter two, we find that after creating the heavens and the earth, God rested on the seventh day. He brought to completion all that he had in his mind to create. And then the scripture tells us he entered into rest on the seventh day. And on that seventh day, there's no mention of evening and morning like there are on the other six to give the indication that it was an unending rest, an open-ended rest. And of course, man was created on the sixth day. So his first day was God's day of rest. And he entered into that rest with God. The notion of rest explains the goal of creation. Now, I see on the program today that you have the title for this sermon, Peace. But I'd like to do a little switcheroo. It's not bait and switch. I'm not trying to be deceptive here. But I'd prefer to title this Rest instead of Peace. Rest uh, for the restless. See, God finished His work and then entered into rest and invited man to join him in that rest. Rest is a nice word, isn't it? I like that word. Well, man entered into that rest, but unfortunately, Genesis 3 tells us how he fell out of that rest. But then, as we go through the rest of the Bible, we find that God sent a Savior so that we could once again enter that rest. And as it says in the book of Hebrews, we who have believed enter that rest. But not entirely. It actually goes on in Hebrews 4 to say, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Wait a minute. Strive to enter rest? Sounds a little incongruous, doesn't it? You know, there was a famous church father. His name was Augustine. And out of all the many famous things that he said, probably the most famous were these words from the beginning of confessions. And you may have heard them. It was a prayer to God. He said, Thou hast created us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. Have you ever heard that? Beautiful words, aren't they? Thou hast created us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. I like rest. I don't like restless, but I think it's a great word to describe modern man, or you could say postmodern man. Restless, to be restless, that's not good. Restless means fidgety, agitated, 
impatient, anxious, not at peace, stressed. All those things that can characterize us. There's a rest or a peace that comes from knowing God, however. And people are trying all sorts of ways to enter into a rest or a peace. A lot of counterfeit ways that do not deliver. But there is one who does deliver. And that is the Lord. The Lord, my shepherd. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts and help us to experience the rest that you promise to those who believe. And Lord, let us actually do a little striving here by your spirit to enter that rest to whatever degree we have not or are not experiencing it. Lord, I pray for my friends here, my brothers and sisters, and for any others that are here that may not yet be a part of your family, that we would come to know that rest that Augustine spoke of, finding that rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. He lets me rest in meadows green and he leads me by the quiet stream. He keeps on giving life to me and helps me do what honors him the most even when walking through the dark valley of death. Yes, the valley of death, I will never be afraid, for he is close beside me, guarding, guiding all the way. He spreads a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. He welcomes me as his special guest. So now with blessing overflowing, His goodness and His unfailing kindness will be with me all of my life. And afterward, afterward I will live with Him forever in His home. Well, that's Psalm 23 from the Living Bible translation, that paraphrase. I wanted you to hear those words in a slightly different fashion because I bet many of you know Psalm 23 by heart. But if you're like me, perhaps you know it so well that you don't really think about it. It becomes a little too familiar and you take it for granted and you don't really see what's in it anymore. Has something like this ever happened to you? You got a friend uh, and, and you're talking to him and you say, you know, there's something a little different about you, but I can't put my finger on it. And then he gets annoyed and says, I've had a beard for 25 years and I just shaved it off. And you say, you had a beard? <laughs> now, maybe it's just guys that this happens to. But once you know somebody, once you're familiar with someone, you really don't look at them again. Because you really don't care what they look like. <laughs> it's probably different with ladies, but with guys, this is the way it, it usually is. And um, 
And so I think Psalm 23 can kind of be like that. We, we're familiar enough with it that we actually don't hear what it says anymore. But I think if we take a fresh look at it, and that's what I want to do this morning, we will see that there is not a more gracious, more overwhelmingly lavish and generous statement of God's loving care for us that was ever written. It's a comprehensive psalm. It kind of includes everything. In six short verses, it covers so much. It's a psalm for all seasons. It's a psalm for all the seasons of life. It's a psalm we often hear at funerals. I used it myself just a couple of weeks ago. But it's not just a psalm for dying. It's a psalm for living. David wrote it. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who in his youth had been a shepherd, right? He was also a great king, a great warrior, a great worshiper. And he also knew what it meant to fall into great sin. So he's uniquely qualified, I think, to write about the Lord in this way. And I'd like to take a closer look at it. And when we do, uh, I think we'll see that the Lord provides peace for me and protects me personally on my pathway all the days of my life. I don't know if that's on the screen. It's, uh, it's the thesis statement of what I'm trying to say. It's a little awkward statement, I, I admit. I tried to tighten it up a little bit, but it actually needed to be awkward. You noticed I used the personal pronoun me over there. You can use it for you too, but I want to show you something about this because my goal today is to help you trust in the shepherd of your life. And there are four categories that we can look at this in, four categories in no particular order. But this psalm is personal. It deals with provision, with protection along life's pathway. And indications of these four categories are sprinkled throughout the psalm because the Lord guards us, the Lord guides us, the Lord provides for us, and it's all very personal. I'd like to start with a personal. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at it in your own version. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I could go on. If I did, you'd see that, well, there are a lot of personal pronouns in this psalm. There's actually 26 of them, and 16 of them refer to me, personal pronoun me. Well, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And so right off the bat, he wants his disciples to know that God is the Father of all. And so he said, let's pray our Father. They'd realize that. That's certainly very true and very important. But here, it's interesting. The Lord is my shepherd, not our shepherd. That's true, he's our shepherd, but this is personal. It's as if I have him all to myself. And of course, there's enough of him to go around for all of us, but that's not the point here. The point here is that he wants you to know that he cares for you as an individual. So 
David is writing this psalm about the Lord as my shepherd, and we are invited to enter into it. We can say the same thing. I have now 14 grandchildren, and I want each of them to know that she's my favorite, that he's my favorite. And so, in a similar way, all that I say here to you, remember, personalize it. It's true for you personally. The good shepherd knows you by name and cares for you individually as a unique individual. In a certain sense, it's almost like you've got a personal trainer here who's going to help you. And he has devised the perfect training program He's designed it especially for you to guide you and to provide for you and to guard you along the personal pathway of your life, which is understandably unique. Everybody's got a little different path. Even the person you're closest to, perhaps your spouse, they have a different path than yours. It's joined, but we're unique. So the Lord is my shepherd. And what does my shepherd do for me? Well, after the personal, let's talk about the provisional. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then describes it a little bit there. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, and restores my soul. This all has to do with provision. Both materially and spiritually, the Lord provides for us. In material provision, the green pastures and the placid waters, well, that's taking care of what we need. There's a logical argument here. It's a little syllogism. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you wanted to expand it and fill it out, you'd say this. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherds provide for the needs of their sheep. Therefore, I have no lack. I have no want. It's very logical. It's very tight. Shepherds provide. We're the sheep We get the provision. The Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. After all, my shepherd is the covenant-keeping God. He created the heavens and the earth. He says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. So as far as material provision, he can and does provide for us. And Scripture talks about this in many other places. But the way he says it here is beautiful. Green pastures, placid waters, Even a table before me, anointing my head with oil. The Hebrew idiom literally is, he gives me a fat head. That's actually good. To to be a fat head in this sense, that's what you want. A great big fat head because you've got so much fullness. My cup overflows, not just filled to the brim, but it actually overflows. Overflows. I was thinking about this, uh, and my mind went back to uh, when I was in junior high school many years ago. And uh, I went to uh, junior high in Montgomery Hills, but uh, every Tuesday, I guess it was, I had to take the bus to Silver Spring, which was maybe a couple of miles, uh, for my cello lesson. And my mother would give me bus money. But sometimes instead of taking the bus, I'd pocket the bus money, and I'd walk to Silver Spring, and I'd stop at the Tasty Diner and order a milkshake. And that was the old-fashioned milkshakes where they used real milk and real ice cream. And they put it in that big stainless steel cup in the mixer. And the waitress would do that. And then she'd bring over to the counter a glass. And she'd fill it to the brim with that milkshake. And then she'd put that stainless steel cup down next to it. And I'd drink that milkshake. And then I'd fill it up again. And you should be able to do it two or three times. 
And I would not let it overflow. I would not let it runneth over. No. Because I didn't want to waste one drop. Now that was what I called lavish provision. And it was all for 25 cents. So we're, go, we're going back a ways. But that, my, oh man, lavish Well, the Lord has lavish provision for us. He provides for us. He keeps on giving life to me. Even in my inner life, He restores my soul. We can become spiritually depleted, be in need of restoration on the inside, run out of gas, so to speak, burned out, restless because of the storms of life and the things that threaten us. And we'll get to those a little bit later in the psalm. But, but right now, just here's the point. My shepherd provides for me. My shepherd provides for me. And then there's a pathway. It's interesting. starts out with shepherding, but then the imagery turns to a journey. The path of righteousness. And because this is poetry, poet can use different images. The image of a pathway. He provides, but he also guides me along the pathway of life. He leads me in paths of righteousness, and he does it for his name's sake. He leads me, and he also follows me. Uh, goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. Hard on my heels. See, that's total care. From front and from behind, it's comprehensive care. It's like that 10-year, 10 10,000-mile 10, warranty. It's even more than that. He never takes a vacation because... The pathway of our lives is a long and arduous journey. It's a road trip. It's got a lot of twists and turns. And it is, in some ways, a dangerous journey. But our final arrival at our destination is certain. I'm not sure where you are in your journey. I'm pretty far along now. But regardless of whether you're just starting out or whether you're kind of coming toward the end of it, the final destination is the house of the Lord. It's where I will dwell forever. You know, that's another way of saying home. This is a journey. We're on our way home. Now, I'm not making light of our time and our mission here. We've got things to do while we're here, and they're very, very important but God has a long view in mind, and it, it's helpful for us to have a long view. Because when we realize that this is not our home, but we're on a journey home, well, do you ever feel like you don't really fit in? It's because you don't. I mean, I hear people say, I don't feel like I fit in. And it's almost like, well, I guess there's something wrong with me or maybe even worse, something wrong with other people because they don't make me feel welcome. And to varying degrees, though, folks, we all feel that way. Yeah, we're citizens here, but we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We have a heavenly kingdom and we are never, ever going to be completely comfortable in this world. If that's your goal, forget about it. It's just not going to happen. We have a rest that we're called to that is perfect rest. It's a perfect Sabbath that will never end, but we're not there yet. We're on the road to it, and we are prone to wander. 
I like that hymn. I like the fact you sing hymns here. I think we should sing more of the great hymns of the church. I love that one, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. And the second verse of it goes like this. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Yeah, well, the modern songwriters have liked to change that verse. They change it out. Nah, Ebenezer, that doesn't communicate with people. They don't know what that means. Say, well, take 10 seconds and explain it. Ebenezer, two Hebrew words, eben, stone, ezer, help, stone of help. And it comes out of First Samuel, where Samuel took a stone and set it up as a monument marker between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now or hitherto, the Lord has helped us. And the implication is, He will continue to do so. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. I'm putting this marker down right now. Hither by thy help I've come this far. And it's my way of saying I hope by your good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Set a marker down. Look at how he's brought you thus far. You having a hard time right now? Probably. If we scratch beneath the surface, everybody's having a hard time. But the Lord has been faithful thus far. He who began a good work in you, will he not also continue to work that unto the day of redemption? Yes, he will. This is what we have to remind ourselves of, that we're on a journey. You've helped me thus far. Somehow you've given me grace to trust you. I'm going to trust you for the rest of the journey. Until then, you're going to have trouble. Have you noticed? But we can experience peace along the way. We think that peace comes when our troubled circumstances are finally resolved. Well, let me tell you, that's never going to happen. Some people say, well, we're in a crisis right now. There's always a crisis. I'm not impressed by that. Peace comes through... Peace comes through trusting in God. So I'm waiting for the doctor to call with the results, and then maybe I'll have peace, resolution. I'm waiting to hear the decision about the interview, but until then, I can't have rest. I'll have peace when my husband does this, or when my wife does that, or when my children finally start to obey. My kids are in their 30s. They still don't obey. No, I'm just kidding. They've got their own kids. so You can fill in the blank with whatever is causing you anxiety. Peace is going to come through trusting the Prince of Peace, the Good Shepherd. He's the only one that can give a peace that passes understanding. And my point is your personal shepherd, you have to go to him directly. This, by the way, is a psalm of trust. And I'd like to give you a little grandfatherly advice. Your sense of well-being is directly related to whether or not you are trusting God. And you will never get to a place in this world where you can say, oh, I don't have to trust God anymore. It's not going to happen. I know you're going through some challenges right now as a church. I've gone through some challenges as a church. Let let me tell you what's helped helped me. When when we, uh, back in 2011, entered into our time of troubles, as I like to call it, I said... 
I said to myself and I said to a number of other people, well, this is going to be a reality check to see whether individuals are trusting in God or in something else. Now, that's not to say that everybody that maybe had gone separate ways, they weren't trusting. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this, that it all boils down to whether or not you really have a relationship with God and you're trusting him directly, not through someone else. And the Lord takes us through these things. Another thing that helped me was, I'm, I'm, some of you know, I'm a student of church history and I've lectured in church history and I love church history because through church history, I've learned that we're not the first group of Christians on the earth. There are others that have gone before us. And you know, many of them have paid for their faith with their blood. So if I get my feelings hurt a little bit, I'm not saying it's not significant. It, it is. But it puts things in perspective. So we've got to trust the Lord. That's what this psalm is about. And it's an encouragement for you. It's an inducement for you and me to trust the Lord our shepherd. And you have every reason to do so because he is so faithful. You hear the confidence that David speaks with. You say, well, how do you do it? How do you do this? this I mean, how does it really work? Well, you take a piece of God's word. And this is a very good one. And you read it and you pray it and then you read it and you pray it again. And that's what we call meditating on God's word. It's not some kind of a vague, I believe in God, I trust in God. No, he's given us his word. He went great trouble to give us his word. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives within you. So when you actually pay attention to it and don't get so familiar that you can't tell the beard's gone, you know what I mean? When you actually pay attention to it, the spirit that inspired that word resonates with the spirit of God within you and you make contact with the living God. Amen. Well, I've been around long enough to see some troubles, my own and others, and people often say to me, well, you seem so even, you seem so calm. Things don't seem to bother you. I want to tell you, I have to work at it. I've told this to this congregation before. I know I've, I've said these things. Please forgive me if I repeat myself. But in the middle of the night when I wake up and I am troubled and my anxious thoughts multiply and I get attacked with fear and worry just like you, I go to the Word of God and I'll take a familiar portion that I know is going to help like Psalm 23 or Psalm 46. The Psalms were written for all these different seasons of life, even psalms of lament. And I will read it and I will pray it and I'll read it and I'll pray it again. And after a while, the help of the Holy Spirit, I kind of get back on top of things. The circumstances haven't changed, but I have. You see what I'm saying? Now, why does God do this? Why, does, why doesn't he just make things easy? I want things to be easy. Don't you want things to be easy? Why does he do this? Why are you do why do you do this? It's because he wants to help us grow and he wants to help us grow into a relationship with him and that's going to take something called faith, not sight. There's a key verse here. It says that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
That's actually kind of a rough little verse. You could even translate it, he crowds me down the paths of righteousness. And why does he do it? For his name's sake. Wait a minute, I thought the goal in life was me to feel good about myself. I think I've told some of you this before. I play golf, and the reason I play golf is to feel good about myself. If I'm beating the other guy or if I'm shooting par, it's like I really feel good about myself. But then, because I keep playing golf, something happens and I don't feel good about myself and I get very angry and upset. It's a little metaphor on life. Now, the goal is not for me to feel good. It's for his name's sake. That's key. What is most interesting and most important to God, rather, is the glory of his name and his reputation. Uh, His name and reputation, same Hebrew word, translates both name and reputation. The word shame. And it's God's shame that he's interested in. His own name, his own reputation, his own glory. Say, wow, that sounds rather egotistical of God to be. Well, it's actually very righteous because he is the most wonderful person in the universe. And he created us. So that we would bring glory to Him. You have created us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. If you're trying to find your rest in anything else, you are not going to be successful. You may well as well give it up right now. But if your desire is to go down these paths of righteousness for His name's sake, you will find yourself more and more in harmony with His wisdom, the way He's created the universe And you will have more peace and more rest and more joy in the midst of this pathway uh, that we're on. So this is why God does it like this. He's using the trials in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. He's doing it for his glory. And it's also for our good. It's also for our good. And you only know this when you look back on some of the trials that you've been through and you say, man, I wouldn't want to go through that again. But I'll tell you, I'm so glad that I did. And those of you that are older know what I'm talking about. If we get to this point, if we get this right, if we line up with his purpose, we'll be on solid ground. And the pathway of life, although it will still be difficult, will be comprehensible to us because we're walking it by faith. And that brings me to the fourth P, protection. We got personal, we got provision, we got pathway, and now we've got protection. The Lord provides peace for me and protects me personally on the pathway all the days of my life. Well, this protects, I think it's pretty clear in the shepherd sheep metaphor that sheep are vulnerable animals. They're weak, they don't have sharp teeth, they don't have claws. When their wool gets wet, If they fall over, they can't get up. They're not very intelligent. They're really pretty pathetic animals. So when God says, oh, you're my sheep. (laughs) Maybe you heard one of these things. You know, if you could be any animal, what animal would you like to be? Oh, I'd like to be a panther. I'd like to be a Siberian snow leopard. So cool. What animal would you like to be? Well, how about a sheep? What is that? I can't, I can't even tell if it's singular or plural. It doesn't even have, you know. I'm designing a hot new sports car. Shall I call it the, 
the, the leopard or the panther, or shall I call it the sheep? Yeah. All right. The real point here is, though, we're sheep. We're not powerful. We're vulnerable. We need protection. I need protection. You need protection. My father went to a number of different schools. His family moved around in New England, and he told me about it. He went to this one high school, and, and some guys came up to him and said, Hey, you need protection. Would you like to buy protection from me? And he found, It's a shakedown. You know, It's like if you don't buy protection, you get beat up by the bullies. That's what happens. That's what we're like. We need protection. Praise the Lord, we've got some protection. There are some problems that appear in this psalm, like the valley of the shadow of death. Like in the presence of my enemies, death, enemies, these are scary. You know, as I got immersed in this psalm, reading it, writing it, singing it, meditating on it, the time I was thinking about it, it seemed so, oh, the Lord is my shepherd, green pastures, still waters. <laughs> but then you keep thinking about it. It's like, wait a minute, the valley of the shadow of death, there's some dark parts here. And I was thinking about people. Who are really in some dark places began to pray for them. And I really thought, yeah, this is a psalm for all the seasons of the soul. So what do you do when things are rough? What do you, where do you go? I had a, a friend who a few years ago was at a conference and he suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, a, a massive brain bleed. And, and so they took him to the hospital. He woke up, I think, 36 hours later in the hospital with all these tubes attached to him. He had no idea what had happened. And his first thought was, Bob, you are in big trouble. And then he says, but the very next thought that came right on its heels, the Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that great? Isn't that great to have that there? Well, he's doing fine now, but that was a dark valley for Bob. It was the valley of the shadow of death. It can refer to any kind of darkness, any kind of, of distress, but it really is a reference to death. And it's important to, uh, it's important to talk about this uh, because I, I think this is the big fear. that every, This is the, the mother of all fears, okay? It's, it's death, and uh, you, 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 we run into it when we don't want to. Uh, we try to avoid it. Uh, I recommend you go to every funeral that you can because it will help you to consider your own mortality and to think deeply about these things will help you live life to the full. It's important because the Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die and then the judgment. It's appointed unto a man once to die and that's an appointment we will all keep. Charles Spurgeon said, we all admit that we must die, but not so soon to make it a pressing matter. We imagine that we are not within measurable distance of the tomb. My brethren, in this we are not wise. Death will not spare us because we avoid him. Yeah. A couple things to say about death. First of all, death is an enemy. It's not the way it was supposed to be. It's an enemy. It's the penalty that was enacted because of sin, because of the fall. It's the first thing. Death is an enemy. But secondly, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for the Christian, death has lost its sting. 
This means that while the Christian still dies physical death, if the Lord doesn't come back first, the judgment of eternal death cannot touch him. It cannot touch her. In other words, Christian, you cannot suffer what Scripture calls the second death, eternal separation from God. When we lose a loved one, it still hurts. It hurts very badly. But for the Christian, there's always the hope that we will see our loved ones again. So death is still an enemy, but it's just the shadow of its former power. I love this story about Donald Barnhouse. He was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, famous Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, a little over a half century ago. His first wife, Ruth, died when their four children were still quite young. And as he drove his family to the funeral, they stopped at a traffic light, and ahead of them was a big truck, and the sun was shining in such a way that it cast its shadow on a snow-covered field beside the road, and Barnhouse pointed to the shadow, and he said to the children, he said, look at the shadow of that truck. If you had to be run over, would you rather be run over by the truck or by its shadow? And the youngest child spoke first and said, Shadow, it couldn't hurt anybody. That's right, Barnhouse said. And remember, children, Jesus let the truck of death strike him so that it could never destroy us. Mother lives with Jesus now. Only the shadow of death passed over her. But this psalm is not talking about someone else's death. It's talking about the psalmist himself, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Can that be true? Fear no evil. Have you thought about your own demise? I, maybe I'm bizarre. Or maybe I'm macabre, but I think about these things. Will you come to my funeral? I hope you will. It'll be a good time. <laughs> There'll be worship. You know, maybe my wife will have a slideshow. I don't know. Can it really be true, though, that I will fear no evil when I walk through the valley? I have had the privilege of walking with a number of people in the valley of the shadow of death as death approaches. But one, one thing I've learned is that while friends and family can be a great comfort as the end draw nears, those last steps you walk alone and nobody can walk them with you. But see, you're not alone. Your shepherd will be with you. Derek Kidner said, only the Lord can lead a man through death. All other guides turn back and the traveler must go on alone. We had one lady in our church, she was just in her middle age, died of cancer a few years ago. And I visited with her. She knew she was dying. And she knew and she believed the gospel. She believed Jesus died for her sins and she was forgiven and she had the gift of eternal life. And she knew she was going to go to be with him. But she told me she was scared. She was scared of dying. And we had a very frank discussion, and she told me that she was scared. And her fear concerned her because she thought, no, perfect love casts out fear. I shouldn't have any fear at all. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Now, we're talking about a couple different things here. Whenever we face something new for the first time, there's always some fear. There's always some uneasiness. 
Especially when you're talking about something as ultimate as death, of course. And people can have doubts too. Fear can come from those things. I'm sure I'll be scared too. But what did David mean when he said he would fear no evil? He said he meant that the evil one couldn't touch him because the Lord was with him. He'd protect him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God draws near to his loved ones in their time of need. The you here is emphatic. There's a way of saying things that are not emphatic. This, the actual pronoun, is used to emphasize the fact that you yourself are with me. And the glorious thing about being a Christian is that you are never alone. You are never alone. I know sometimes it feels that way, but that is not true. It is impossible for you to be alone. The Holy Spirit is within you, Christian. And the Lord is your shepherd. Christ is in you by the Spirit. He indwells you. You are united with Him. You are in union with Jesus Christ. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but that's just because He wants to develop your faith in Him. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's with us and He's armed. Amen. In times of trouble, it's good to have a friend who's armed. And he goes on. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There are enemies. There is an enemy. There's a war going on, a spiritual warfare. Satan is real. There are demons, fallen angels, an enemy army. It cannot be seen. But they are opposed to God. They're opposed to you. They're opposed to me. And he has even human agents that are doing his bidding. In the presence is literally in front of his enemies. It sounds like you're going to get a meal. You're going to eat your lunch right in front of your enemies. It's almost as if to mock them. <laughs> oh, hi, enemies. Have another bite of your sandwich. But actually, it's the Lord who makes the lunch. He's the one who prepares the table for you and for me. He's the one who's mocking the enemies, doing it right in front of them. So he provides peace. He protects me personally on the pathway. He guards, he guides, he provides. And all of this is true if the Lord is your shepherd. And now, just for a moment here, I don't want to assume that everyone in this room is a Christian. I want to speak to those of you who are not Christians or not yet Christians because you can have him as your shepherd also. He offers himself to you in the gospel See, many years after David wrote this, Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd. It's me. He was referring back to this psalm. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then he went on to say, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just one interesting thought here. In that description of himself where Jesus goes into some detail talking about himself as the good shepherd and says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep a hireling runs away but not the good shepherd he dies for the sheep yeah that's true but if you're back there in Israel at that time and you're thinking about a shepherd who actually died for his sheep you'd have to think that's absolutely tragic 
I mean, shepherds are supposed to live for their sheep, not die for their sheep. I mean, after all, they're sheep. And why would he have to die? Well, he's taking it into a realm beyond just ordinary sheep and shepherds. He's taking it into a spiritual realm where the good shepherd, this is shocking. The shepherd dies for the sheep? That's amazing. That's shocking. It's not supposed to happen. But he loves them so much that if necessary, that shepherd would die for the sheep. Yes, this is how valuable you and I are to God, but it's also how deep and abiding is his love for us. That the good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. He was speaking of the cross that he was about to go to. And he was telling them how serious it was. We need the Lord as our shepherd. This is not some kind of an optional extra. My friends, and those of you who are not Christians, please hear this. Jesus loved you so much, He died so that through believing in Him, you could become His and could enter into His rest. He said at one point, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That's all of us. Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You know, that's what we're all looking for. That's what I'm looking for. I want to take my vacation in heaven. (laughs) I want a little bit of rest. Now, praise the Lord, got a job to do. If you're still here and you're breathing, you've got a job to do. There's work for us. There is a mission that God has for us. And it's actually a wonderful thing. Jesus said, my meat, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It's energizing. Okay, we're not just on our back foot here. We're actually going forward. But it's good to go forward knowing that Christ has your back and he has your front. He's got the pathway covered. We will safely arrive at home. Amen. Amen. So this is the good news. This is the good news. If the Lord is your shepherd, you're going to be fine. I I, I thought maybe there's a more profound way to say that, but here's the thing I want you to get today. There's a rest. There's a rest for you, and it's going to come through trust. Uh, With regard to your personal lives right now, vis-a-vis this church, you must trust God yourself. You must trust God for your own journey and for your participation in this church or however the Lord will lead you. And you must pray, and you must pray for the leaders of your church, the elders of your church. They need your prayers. They also need your goodwill. I know these men, all four of them, they are good men. God has a good will for them. That's called not just his sovereignty, his benevolent sovereignty. He has that for us all. Benevolent means good will. He has a good will for them. You should pray for God's good will to be fulfilled in their lives as they seek to serve you. You must trust God directly first and foremost yourself And pray for them. And there's always a way through. As a matter of fact, if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will give us grace. And grace is always the way through. So my friends, I care about you. I pray for you. It's been my pleasure to share God's word with you on this occasion and on many others. I want you to know you're not alone. We love you. We care about you. 
And I'd like you to just bow your hearts with me as I pray.